Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 76. Hey, this is Z-Dog MD, rapper, physician, legendary turntable health revolutionary, and part-time gardener. And you're listening to the Medical School HQ Podcast, hosted by the irredeemably awesome Ryan Gray. Welcome back. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and I believe that competition amongst your pre-med and medical student peers is detrimental to becoming a great physician. In this podcast, we show you how collaboration, hard work, and honesty are critical to becoming a superior physician in today's healthcare environment. Before we get into the content today, I do want to remind you that the Princeton Review supports the Medical School HQ podcast and you, the listener. In the month of May, which this podcast is releasing, you can use the promo code MSHQ5 at the checkout at PrincetonReview.com and save 10% off of the MCAT Ultimate Classroom or MCAT Ultimate Live Online courses. Again, MSHQ5, save 10%, PrincetonReview.com. I have a very special guest in the uh, studio with me today. Aww. (laughs) Thanks, Ryan. It's been a while. It has been. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm pretty tired, but I'm good. You're a new mom. I am. Since we've done this. Hi, everybody. Long time no hear. Long time no hear. Or long time no speak. (laughs) Long time no, yeah. Good job. (laughs) So, Allison. Yes, Ryan. How are you doing today? Doing well? Besides being tired? (laughs) Yeah. I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about. Yeah. I don't know if I'm excited to talk about it because the the reason we're talking about it is unfortunate, but. That's true. I guess, I mean, I'm I'm glad to be back and glad to be talking here with you. So back a while ago, we talked about you and when you became a patient and kind of the lessons that we learned through that process and how it changed you as a physician, mm-hmm. becoming a patient. Yes, it did. That was back in session 62, which if you haven't listened to that one, go back medical school hq.net slash 62, as in session 62. And, and, and hear Allison's story of, of being diagnosed with Crohn's disease in residency and starting treatment and all of that other stuff that goes along with it. Today, we're going to talk about how I was diagnosed within the last month with a lesion in my spinal cord. Yes. 
You're a neurologist. I am. Are lesions in the spinal cord good? Generally, no. <laughs> Generally, no. So we got a phone call one, one afternoon with MRI results. And you immediately started bawling. I did. What was your, what was your initial thought when she started reading these MRI results? So so my primary care doctor called me with the results from the MRI. The radiologist had called her, and she re- was reading back the results to us. I and so so as a physician, and as my wife. Yeah, it's hard to mesh those two because I think my my thought at the time was this can't be happening, and I just. Um, I don't know. I felt like the world was collapsing around me. It's just kind of the worst busman's holiday ever. That expression that you do something for your job and then you, it's like you have a day off and you're living your job. Um, I I just was kind of in shock. Just disbelief, I think is the word. Disbelief. Yeah. Not what we expected. We thought Ryan was had a pinched nerve and clearly um, not not what we expected. Not at all. But... We move on, we learn, we get stronger. We do. Eventually one day. We're still in the throes of it, still dealing with it. Yes. (laughs) But we're going to talk about it because we learned some lessons from it and lessons that we want to pass on to you as you go through your medical training and as you're going through your pre-medical education, lessons to kind of hold on to, to keep close to yourself so that when you are a physician you can remember this these lessons hopefully that that we're going to talk about today and and utilize them and and integrate them into your practice and dealing with patients. Yeah, and as you're out there doing your your uh, shadowing, getting your clinical experiences as a pre-med, keep these things in mind um because as you're watching physicians as they practice, I always say take the gold, leave the crap <laughs> um you want to see if if the physicians that you're working with are are doing these things and and ryan and i never come out here and say that you know we know everything of course not but i think we both agree that these are some really important things that we've learned that we would hope that all physicians would have so see if as you're out there getting the, your clinical experience if other physicians you're working with are operating this way so let's jump into it so the we put together about five different traits that, as a patient now, I would want in a physician, and I hope that everybody can emulate as physicians moving forward. The first one is very straightforward. The first one, I hope everybody takes to heart, and it's don't be negligent. So my first neurologist that I saw prior to having this MRI that showed the lesion I saw her the day before the MRI, and she saw me and and did her whole workup and came up with her differential diagnosis and said, okay, I'll follow up with the MRI tomorrow, and and we'll, we'll move forward from there. That was almost a month ago, and I still haven't heard from her. Yeah. That's not good. No. That's, that's pretty freaking deplorable yeah as a physician as a patient who has a wife that's a neurologist and knows what these mri results mean i was lucky i was in to see an ms specialist the next day 
to start a workup to figure out what is this lesion, uh, what do I need to do moving forward, do I need to do something immediately? But what if I didn't have, have those resources? You might still be waiting. And as we say in medicine, oftentimes to patients, no news is good news. So you could be sitting at home here thinking, oh, I guess it was all fine. It's all fine. And, and those are the exact words that I emailed to the hospital's chief medical officer, letting him know that I had this exam, I had this visit. I still hadn't heard anything from the doctor, and I thought that he would want to know that to fix that for other patients. I, I'm already being seen and treated and, and evaluated. So again, I'm the lucky one. But what about the patients that don't have those resources? The, the 99% of the patients that, that aren't physicians or don't have spouses that are physicians or family members that are physicians that can, that can start that ball rolling and, and get the workup needed and, and get you into whoever you need to see. Yeah, and it may be that in your career, you'll have times when you're really busy, you're in a rush, you have your own personal things going on in your life, and you have a result that you're supposed to get back to a patient on, and maybe it's all fine. And you remember a few days later, and the result was normal, so it's fine. But there may be times when that's not the case. And besides the fact that you can get sued, because that's uh, very negligent, uh, it could be disastrous for that patient, that human being. And it's there are different things that we all learn as physicians, different ways to deal with the number of results that you're trying to to follow up for patients. It's like having a whole bunch of different balls in the air. But this was obviously a, a very you know good but unfortunate example of of a really of negligence. Yeah. And our at our latest visit with a, a new neurologist, our third neurologist, <laughs> the that discussion was had, and, and she specifically mentioned how she was an expert witness for a case in something very similar. The patient saw a doctor, had findings on, on an MRI, and never heard anything from his physician. And five years later, when things started going very badly for him or her, the, 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 the patient found out that what was wrong was there five years ago. Yeah, that's just a terrible situation for everyone. So don't be negligent. Yeah, in medical school, you actually will learn, I think there are the four Ds, uh, it's either four or five Ds, um, all different things that you can do that will 100% get you sued. <laughs> and that's one of them. It does, it's negligence, it doesn't begin with D, but it must be a similar word that I don't recall. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to spelling for you. <laughs> All right, so that's number one, straightforward, easy. I think everybody can live by that one. Whatever you need to do, and it comes down to whatever you need to do to stay organized, to remember that you have stuff to follow up with or, or understanding that um, maybe your vacation is going to have to take a 10-minute pause while you check a lab or a record or make sure that somebody is following up uh, somebody else back at the office is following up with that information yeah the second one your your line numbers are numbers patients are patients yes in medical practice 
we all, or most of us, try to practice by evidence-based medicine. And what that means is that we don't, uh, we don't practice by anecdotal stories. We, we don't say, well, this worked for two patients that I had, so let's do this for you. We, we really try to use the literature and uh, look at, at studies where they, clinical trials, where they actually, they try um, through double-blind, placebo-controlled trials to see, does this drug actually work? Or, or they look at a number of patients who have an illness over time, and there are all different trial designs, of course. But basically what I'm saying is we, we use numbers, we use data to try to drive how we treat patients. Now, I think that that's very important. I would, as a patient, want to be treated with the knowledge that there's actually data behind it. That all said, patients are people and every case is different. I think one of the things that I've learned as a physician in my training is that you have to look at every single case individually. You have to, you have to look at each case as not even a case, as a human being, as a person, um, one of the reasons that I remember I didn't go into surgery when I was uh, shadow or what not shadowing when I was scrubbing in on a case in medical school in my third year, there was a patient who was uh, on the table. They were prepping him for surgery, and his arm just kind of flung off the table because he was already out. And somebody just kind of picked up the arm and put it back on there, and they were, they started talking about okay, this is case number so and so. And I thought this we should never think about people as cases. People are people. So how do we mesh this data-driven evidence-based medicine with these are our patients and their people in front of us? I think the key is that in my mind, you try to to use the data to to the best way you can, and that it's it's um it's it's how you you frame what you're going to to treat people with, but you have to look at each patient individually and cater to their individual needs and concerns individually. So don't lose sight of the fact that, as I say, numbers are numbers, but people are people. Don't start thinking, well, okay, well, this person is just, you know, fits perfectly into um, the the study that I recently read. So I'm going to uh, ascribe all of the same things to that person and that's it and have a nice day. It, it can't ever be like that. Each person is a human being and has to be treated as such. And that, And that's the feeling that I got from the second neurologist that we saw was I was more of that patient that fit nicely into a research study. And here's my chances of getting MS in the next five years, 10 years. And oh, by the way, it's 11%. And, and oh, that's not high. Those were his words, not mine. I turned around and said 11% is high in my mind. Yes, and saying... It's a hundred times what everybody else has. That makes it sound even yeah. worse. A hundred times, hundred times more likely than the general population. Yeah, that's even worse. Right. So understand that as a patient, as a physician communicating to the patient what you think may be high or low risks, the patient may not understand as high or low risks. What you read in a research study the patient might not fit into that exactly and likely doesn't fit into that exactly. And you have to be willing to know the research, understand the research, walk that line, but deviate from it when needed, when a patient is asking for it or when a patient is is a little bit different. Yeah, and I think... 
you may look at numbers and say, oh, well, 11's a small number, but you have to always think about getting inside that patient's shoes. And if you had an 11% chance of developing MS over the next five years, how would that make you feel? This, this per- particular physician who we saw is a wonderful physician, and we think very highly of him. Uh, he was so, um, so kind to get us in so quickly to be seen and um, takes good care of, of lots of patients. But that's the key thing is, is there are certain things that can be said in the office that, that don't resonate well and, and that really rub a patient the wrong way and, and make that patient feel just not just, just as a number. And, and that's, that's what doesn't work. So try to, you may be a wonderful physician. You may be just a fabulous physician, but you may have these moments where you say things that make people feel like a number and, and that takes away from how people view you as this great physician. So really try to keep that in mind. That kind of rolls into our next point of just being straightforward you you understand the research as the physician. You understand the disease processes as the physician. The patient may understand a lot as well in today's day and age where everybody Googles everything and, and we have WebMD and, and great resources, great accurate resources where patients can get sometimes more, more up-to-date information than you may have. Be a person and, and and be straightforward with that patient and and talk openly and as a human being, one human being to another. It, that's what we do. We we are treating patients at their lowest. Mm-hmm. And I would say I was at my lowest a couple weeks ago. Definitely getting diagnosed with a lesion in my spinal cord. Pretty crappy. Um, and so just just be human. Yeah. You, you have to remove yourself from this whole idea that you are the doctor and they are the patient and there's this divide and, and you are the, the well and they are the sick. It's not helpful. It's, you, you need to level with people. And this goes back to my feeling that I talked about in the episode where we talked about my Crohn's. It also um, goes back to an episode where we talked with Sherry Blowett who uh, is a, a, an incredible woman, an incredible physician living with a disability. And she talked about uh, how important it was for her to have physicians in her life. Uh, that was episode 66, by the way, um, to, have pa- to have physicians in her life level with her and just be straight with her. It's so, so important. And, and hopefully many of you listening are not going to have the experience of living with a chronic illness until you're much older. But when you do, or never, or never, yes, (laughs) never, never would be good. Um, But it's, it really just becomes so important. You just, you just need people to be straight with you and talk to you like a a person and not condescend. And, and it's funny because, you know, here Ryan is and here I am, we're both physicians, we're sitting in this office and we're sitting with another physician and we're feeling that way still. Imagine that, right? So then think about how a patient might feel and sitting in an office with their physician. You, you got to just get rid of that, that divide, that, that talking down to people and just be straight with them. Just, just be honest. You can't, you can't do anything uh, with with the information you're being given if you're not being given the information, right? So you just need you need the knowledge and and you need it to be given to you in a way that works. Yep. So the next one, I, this really isn't a, a a trait or anything that you as a physician need to do, other than be aware that. 
what you do day in and day out is normal for you. That's that's your new homeostasis, right? Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll work in some some old terms here. That's that's your new norm. For the patient, it's far from their norm. They they are in a state of chaos, a state of of stress. You're you're giving them a new diagnosis of of hypertension, of high cholesterol, as benign as it may be, that's something new to them and stressful. And you need to be able to disperse, dispense the the information that you need to give them so that they can better take care of themselves. But you also need to time, you need to take the time to reflect on what they're going through, not only immediately there in the office, but also, what is home life going to be like them from for them now? What's work life going to be for them now? You you have to understand those other dynamics and take the time to talk about those things. Right. So Ryan and I have a newborn, and here he is being told three weeks after the baby is born that he has something in his spinal cord. Talk about stress. <laughs> Uh, people talk about having a new baby is one of the most stressful times in your life. And then you add something else. And then Ryan has to go back to work after paternity leave. It, it's it the, ba- was... the baby didn't do this to me, by the way. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, it's a real that it's been a really stressful time for us, for our family. And uh, so, yeah, it, it just be mindful of what you're giving this patient a lot of information. You're sending them out. And they're going back out into their world, which could be, you know, they're a single mom. They, they're they living from day to day on, on their paycheck. Um, maybe they have no family around them to support them or any friends. Maybe they just moved to the area. I mean, there are so many things that we don't even think about when, when our patients leave the office. And we think, oh, okay, well, you know, the social worker, or I can I can call the social worker and get them help, but it's it's not enough. And, and that's a good doctor that even thinks about a yeah. social worker. Oh, definitely. Um, and many times that's not even really available in the outpatient setting in the same way. Uh, in the hospital, it's a little bit easier. But yeah, so so as Ryan said, just remember, think about you're sending them out. This is a normal day to day for you. You're going to see another patient in a few minutes and probably give them another the same diagnosis. But it's very scary for the patient. You know what I think would be helpful? I just I just thought of this. But in today's day and age, where everybody is going to go home and Google everything anyway, that's what I did, right? I, I googled lesion in spinal cord and what is this? Even and... though he has a neurologist <laughs> as a wife, right? Because uh, yeah. that's that's what we do. I mean, I did that when I was diagnosed with Crohn's. It's it's just you need you. There's this. Everybody deals with with stress differently. There are all these coping mechanisms for a lot of people who are physicians and um, other people who who live uh, you know are around knowledge and and trying to accumulate knowledge to to do what they need to do. Knowledge is power. So what do you do when you find something out? You go to the interwebs and you look it up. <laughs> yeah. But as, as a physician, maybe you have a, here are the top resources that you should go to. Mm-hmm. Stay away from Google because that's scary. Mm-hmm. But he, I know you want more information. So here are some great resources online that you can go get that information. And you might still be scared, but it's reliable information that I've reviewed myself and that will be helpful for you. Definitely. And support groups, providing those resources. Absolutely. I, I agree. That's that's huge. One other thing I'll mention, one thing that I try to do as a physician in the office, I have a lot of patients who I see who are going over MRI results with. And what I do with every patient is I actually pull up their scan and I go through it with them. I explain a little bit about what the scan, how it works, and and the way that they their their body is in the scan, so they understand. 
And then I, I actually go through with them and, and explain this is the anatomy. This is, and, and when I give them their report, we go through it together so that they see these terms like, well, there are a few white matter hyperintensities, blah, blah, blah. What does that actually mean to a patient? It means that they're going to go home and Google it and say, oh my God, my doctor didn't talk with me about this. What the hell is this? I'm scared. Now I'm, I have all these questions and you know, maybe I'll call them back or maybe I'll go and, I'll, and tell all my friends my doctor doesn't tell me anything and I have all this scary stuff written on a piece of paper, but they're telling me it's fine, right? It's this sort of this, you know, it's scary. So what I try to do is I, I actually go through their report with them and, and explain the terminology. Maybe they won't remember everything, but at least they'll have, they'll feel like they could actually see what this radiologist was talking about and they could go through with their doctor, their neurologist and, and understand what was being written down. I, I try to do that to provide my patients with a sense of, of security and, and to really let them to, to make, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. It just, it makes, I think, um, it helps people understand. And with all the medical jargon that we have, it's, it's important for people to understand things in layman's terms. I think so. So you'll figure out whatever works for you, but that's, I think, what works for me. Let's talk about the next one. A research versus clinical physician. And I don't know if this played into the experience that we had with our second neurologist, but he's a research-based physician. The majority of the week, four days out of five, he is doing research, and he sees patients on the other day. And I, I thanked him to the moon and back for coming in on one of his research days to see me the next day after all this happened. He came in specifically to, to see me. And, and again, great physician. And, and I, I said this to him specifically. I said, I understand that physicians are aggressive. There are physicians that are conservative and, and that's okay. But as a patient, I was leaning against kind of his thoughts and his, his methods, which is why we ended up switching patients, uh, switching doctors. I wish I could switch patients. Oh, no, no. I never. <laughs> so there, there is a certain mindset as a researcher that you need to have. And if you're doing that four days out of five, it's very easy to keep that same mindset on that fifth day when you're seeing patients and not only keep that mindset, but also be annoyed that these patients are keeping you from your research. Whereas, in my mind, I would hope that you would see the patients as an addition, as, as a supplement to your research, because you're integrating that information. As, a, as an MD-PhD, as a physician researcher, you're trying to integrate the clinical knowledge with the research knowledge. And so those patients do nothing but help you with your research. They're, and they're all what it's for, right? So you're in the lab four days a week working on trying to find, uh, you know, new imaging technology or new medications that could work for people or whatever it is. And what is it all for? It's that fifth day when you go in and see these patients that are so anxious and, and eagerly awaiting new treatments and, and things that, that can make their lives better. So that's, it's not that they take you away from your research. That's what it's all for. So I think it, it's just you, you have to really remember that you are you're number one as a doctor, you're a healer and you need to 
embody that when you go into the office and you're seeing patients. Take off your lab coat, you know, get rid of the white coat altogether if it makes you level with people a little better. Uh, human to human and, you know, just just uh, change your change your mindset when you go into the office and you're with the patient. Yeah. So we all know, I think, about the soap note. As pre-meds, maybe you haven't heard of a soap note yet. It's the way that at going through medical school, you learn how to write notes and how to do an exam and kind of go through your thought processes. It's a way of just organizing w- what happens with each patient visit. And it, it stands for subjective. How's, which, the pa- how's the patient feeling? Right, which is like taking a history. Yeah. Objective. Doing a physical exam, which is what you do both yeah. inpatient, outpatient. Yeah, what you see, your vital signs. Assessment. So how you formulate everything, how do you put it all together? In other words, what is the diagnosis or what what is your differential diagnosis? And plan. Yes, and plan. What are we going to do about it? What are we doing about it? It's missing something. Allison and I were, were talking about it this morning. It's it's missing that that intimate personal aspect yeah it's missing a big giant pause as in yeah how does this make you feel yeah so we came up with a different uh initial uh acronym called soapier <laughs> subjective objective assessment of plans all the same you still go through the same thought processes but you take a minute to be intimate you take the time to have some empathy and you reflect on what the heck just happened what 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 train was that that just hit me? Yeah. And it's amazing, right? We don't we don't actually factor in any time as physicians to talk with the patient about how everything that we've just gone over makes them feel. How does this all make you feel? And uh, I had a, a pre-med with me in the office recently shadowing and and she said to me at the end of one of the visits, gosh, it's so interesting to see how quickly you you take a history, you do an exam, and then you talk with the patient like without skipping a beat about this is what I think is going on and this is what we should do about it. And it's it's so funny because as a physician, when you're doing this day in, day out, that it just becomes what you do. It's it's like the alphabet, you know it backwards, forwards. <laughs> um, so, but but with with every patient, it's so, in my mind and in Ryan's mind, it's so important to take that time because, again, th- these are people's lives. These are, this is their health. And you need to take time to, to reflect with them. How does this make you feel? And we don't factor in any time for that in any of these doctor patient encounters we have. And how sad is that? It's a disservice, quite frankly, to, to our patients that we don't. We, we send them back out into the world <clears throat> and say, basically, okay, here's your plan. Good luck. And, and it's just, it's not follow, right. Follow up in six months. Right. It's, it's not right. And, and yes, as Ryan said, if, we, if we're thoughtful, we might say, okay, well, you know, this seems to be very troublesome for you or troubling rather. Uh, let me set up a visit, you know, with our social worker. But that's not enough in my mind. When you take the Hippocratic Oath and you say, I am going to take care of people. I'm going to be a healer. Uh, I'm going to do no harm. You need to to sit with that person as their doctor and and just be with them and and ask them, hey, do you have questions for me? Hey, how does this all make you feel? What can I do to help you with this? To 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 let you know that I'm here with you. What I actually, I, there's something I tell my patients a lot, which is, I want you to know that this is a new diagnosis. I I get that. 
I'm here with you. We're in partnership together. Okay. So it lets them know that they're not just leaving the office and I think about 20 other people and and don't think about them again for six months. They're in my mind and we're in this together. If you don't know what the Hippocratic Oath is, go back and listen to session 50, The Golden Rules of Medicine. That's medicalschoolhq.net slash 50. Yeah, it's it's a very different thing than going into a Staples and buying a printer. <laughs> service that you need, service gained, you, you walk out the door, you're done. It's it, the practice of medicine. It, it requires so much more than that. It's not just somebody coming in to buy something and they leave. That's why I have a hard time thinking about medicine as a business after all anyway. Um, you, you have to, to be there as a person and, and let them know that you're in this with them. And I think, Ryan, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that you left this third neurologist's office feeling a lot better because of that because you felt like she was in your corner. Yeah. Everything that we just went over, the third neurologist that we saw was by far the one that I meshed with the most. And that's not to say that there are hundreds of other patients that would mesh with the second neurologist the most. But for me, and having a neurologist as a wife who protects the brain and the spinal cord and all of the nerves uh, to the utmost of her ability, she wanted, Allison wanted, to be more aggressive than what this uh, second physician wanted to do. And so we got a second opinion, or a third opinion in this case, and we agreed and, and I felt more comfortable with this third physician's assessment and her plan. And that is to treat aggressively and hopefully I don't ever get MS. I have a chance, a a high chance of getting MS, but let's hope I don't. So as of this recording, I haven't started yet. I have a prescription for medications, but uh, hopefully they they treat me well and uh, hopefully I, I never have any more lesions. Yeah, and we left that office really feeling that that she was she was in our corner. And it's again, it's not that she just was willing to do what we were hoping for treatment wise. She she made us feel like she was going to support our our thoughts. She was yeah. she was in there. We were showing each other baby pictures. She was leveling with us as another human being. It was just a, a much better. And you have a personal relationship with her too, I do. so that I know helped. Her. It but, is true. Um, but but yeah. but that was the first time I met her. And as I was walking out the door, she took five seconds to put her hand on my arm and tell me that I'm going to be okay. And that made all the difference to me as a patient. Ultimate kind of reflection and purpose of this episode is just to tell you to be a person. What would you want your family member to, how would you want your family member to be treated? What would you want your family member to be told? Just be a person. And when you're in there writing your soap notes, you can keep writing them as soap notes, but remember the soapier note that you heard about on the Medical School HQ podcast. Make it soapier. <laughs> make it soapier. Yeah. I think we're going to do Hashtag Kevin MD. Hashtag make it soapier. There you go. I like it. <laughs> make it soapier. Hashtag. Good job with the hashtag hey. <laughs> for somebody that has like six tweets all time. That's all right. We'll work on that. All right. I, I hope you learned a lot today about a, a kind of a doctor becoming a patient 2.0. Unfortunately for us, 
But what what I hope that you learn from this is kind of the traits that make a good physician from a patient's point of view. And I, I pray that none of you out there are patients yourselves, but the statistically speaking, you probably are. There, there probably are patients out there with MS, people listening right now with MS, people listening with Crohn's and, and other uh, disabling diseases. And maybe that's why you're becoming a physician to help patients in similar situations. And I applaud you for that. But take this, learn from it, integrate as much as you want or none of it. And, uh, but ultimately take care of your patients as people. And let us know what you thought of everything we talked about today. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, you can do that on the show notes, medicalschoolhq.net slash 76. You can drop us an email. I am Ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. And I am Allison at medicalschoolhq.net. Hey, it's the same. It is. Almost. (laughs) Before we go, I want to tell you about freemcatgift.com where you can download a brand new 30-plus page report on the most important pieces of the MCAT. You can take your knowledge of the MCAT to the next level by going to freemcatgift.com and downloading that free report. And by the way, we'll have to update it with the new MCAT 2015 scoring that was just released. So we'll update that as soon as possible. I hope you enjoyed today and listening to my story I hope you take something from it. And most importantly, I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters. (laughs) 